If you're looking for a clean, sober, professional, academic, well-researched, historically accurate, generally accurate, serious podcast on Southern folklore, ghosts, bizarre events, and unique people, this podcast is not for you. However, if you've decided you can live with that, then join us for The Strange South. Hi, Morlea. Hi, Patrice. <laughs> How are you? I'm fine. So, what? you want to talk about what we're drinking mm-hmm. first? We are drinking. It's like Christmas in here. It is. It tastes like Christmas. We're drinking Christmas in a glass. We're drinking uh, spiked cider, basically. <laughs> so, yes. it is what? Apple cider. With uh, cinnamon and cloves, right? Is there and, cloves? And orange juice. Mm-hmm. And I put in it, um, it's Jack Daniel's Winter Cider, I think was what it was called, right? The, right. So this is what like my friend who's a Jack Daniel squire thought was like a travesty. Like you can't possibly mix Jack with other things. And then we tried it last night just to see if it was horrible. And it was really good. Just it's really good. Just warm with water, too. This is super sweet and Christmassy and yummy. Right. It is delicious. Mm -hmm. And I'm afraid that I'm probably going to have to stop and get seconds. Yeah, I um, think I will, too. Afterwards, we may have to make another batch. That always makes for better stories. It does. It does. Although I don't think I'm going to get as giggly as we do on champagne. For some (laughs) reason, champagne is is the giggly juice. Every bubble is its own like little spit of laughter. Exactly. Though, although we should mention before we started, we did start with a, I wouldn't call it necessarily a shot because I was too chicken to do a shot, <laughs> but a, a very timid sip, <laughs> I would say, of what is the stuff? Was it peach moonshine? Yeah, it was Georgia peach moonshine. Yes. It smells amazing. It smells like the head of a strawberry shortcake that I had when I was six, like for real. It's super, super but they didn't burn that way. No, no, they didn't burn. <laughs> Strawberry shortcake from hell. Oh my gosh. Yes. It definitely like, I am seriously, I've taken off several layers because it's a little chilly here. <laughs> We've got like the fire going and everything, but I am sweating and my stomach is still glowing from that little bitty sip of right? moonshine. The heat comes like a minute, a full minute after you sip it. It's and like it just, just keeps going. Yes. So that kind of primes the engine for um, (laughs) the spiked cider yes yes okay so delicious drinks we'll post them and um on the website sounds good with a link to them so post-mortems a lot of response about the robert doll yes a lot of talking and and lot of local response about the Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. Is there anything like, do you have any postmortem talk points that you want to go through? No, the only thing um, when we were talking about the Robert doll that uh, we had been pointed to the episode of lore, which is, it's a Netflix show, right? Or is it an Amazon prime show? It's a short show that explores the backgrounds of different legends. I think it's Amazon and, prime. Is it Amazon prime? Um, and I think it was based on a podcast, maybe originally, but it's it's kind of fun. Like different seasons, we <laughs> like better it? than others. I I oh, sat there so that night and I watched watch the it. Robert the Doll episode. Was it pretty eerie? It was not as scary as I thought it was going to be. Oh, okay. I thought it was going to be scarier. Um, there wasn't as much maniacal giggling as I I thought. Right, might go or the doll it. like popping up in weird places. Exactly. Yeah. But there was so it's like it tells the story with a little reenactment and stuff like hokey reenactment, but then it gives little information in between like these little interstitials that have you know background about dolls in general or why people thought dolls were creepy or other stories about dolls and one of them it was talking about um it's edgar bergen right the um sort of comedian ventriloquist that was famous like way back when and would be on variety shows seriously and i was like i i recognize the name but Mm -hmm. i didn't you know i don't think i'd ever it would it would be like way back 
See, before when I watched, I can't even say it. Ventriloquists are like clowns. Yes, they're a special type of creepy. The ventriloquist, and here's what makes this even more creepy: his ventriloquist doll. He had the same doll, I guess, the entire time he did his routine, and it became a member of his family. And he took like family photos with it. And there were rumors that like his wife hated the doll when he had a daughter, when they had a daughter, like there were pictures of the baby with the doll. Like this is your, this is your big brother. Here's, and then they would interact on stage as brother and sister. And because the daughter grew up to be <gasps> Candace Bergen. Oh my gosh. Of Murphy Brown fame and all other kinds of fame. Cause she's awesome. And right. um, so, yeah. So I was Weird like, fact. so she grew up with this like creepy ass ventriloquist doll brother <gasps> in her house. That was probably mm. some sort of mental instability going on there. Exactly. Um, but yes, yes, seriously. So that was, that was the interesting tidbit that I got from that Robert the doll episode of lore. But yes. That is a good tidbit. There. Yeah. Well, so I did take like we were talking about creepy dolls and we had somebody post their creepy ass doll. And yes. I'm like, shit, we're going down like everybody's going. I'm going to be seeing creepy ass dolls all over the place and they're just going to freak me out. And so I had the doll and thought, well, let me take a picture of her. And she's actually a pretty little doll. She's, I don't get too much to the creep except for the feet. The feet are a bit creepy. And just mm-hmm. because I have her laid down because I can't face looking at her. <laughs> Um, but when I picked her up to take her photo, the creepiest thing about it is that she has a little baby doll that's like attached to her hand, literally. And it just kind of hangs there. It swings. So, yes. And it swings. Mm. And so I took a video of it. And what really creeped me out is, of course, I did this like I posted very late at night, like in my bed with the phone over my head, like <laughs> and I can't see anything anyway. So I'm half blind. Uh And so I'm doing this little video. I'm doing it all on my phone. I post it and I post like this little funny um, nope right afterwards. Uh, And so I wanted to post that story. So I saved up the story and I threw it on uh, Instagram or Facebook. And I noticed like when I replayed it, that the image started to like melt off the screen it like stutters and starts melting off the screen i was like well my phone's just messing up so whatever it's gonna post like that that'll be fine so the next morning i get up and i check facebook and i check instagram and the video plays like it's supposed to Mm -hmm. and so i go back to my phone and i play it on my phone and it just like melts off the screen almost and And it is creepy it is the most bizarre and i have you know that like after posting like the pictures of Robert and all the doll stuff onto or the website, I immediately went through and like deleted all those pictures. Cause every time I opened up my laptop, I had his face staring at me and I'm just like, I cannot handle this. And I have a feeling I'm gonna have to do the same. Cause every time I opened up Facebook, they had this like, do you want to boost this post? And it's that doll like melting off the screen and it's just, I, I can't handle it. I got to get that out of my life. And I had to I had to take a video of that video off of your phone right. to prove that it really it was really happening. that way because it wasn't happening on Facebook. So I posted that video on Instagram, right? At the Strange South podcast. I posted it on Instagram. So if you want to see it like melting, it's on Instagram because it's it is, for real, man. It is kind of creepy. Like she cursed your phone. Oh. This is like, you know, you got to ask permission before you take their photo. I should have. Absolutely. Especially if her baby. So. Oh my goodness. Okay. So, so remember I talked about the lizard that fell on my head. Mm -hmm. So update on the lizard. (laughs) He is now a family member. We've named him (laughs) Ludwig the lizard. And he actually lives in that curtain right there. Oh, he's nearby. Oh my God. Oh, I'm going to be looking for him Unless now. Unless the cats have gotten to him, which I haven't seen a dead lizard carcass yet. But my husband, who is really um, kind of bizarre about animals anyway, <clears throat> totally chill with the lizard. And he's like, yeah, I'm in here with Ludwig. <laughs> Just chilling, me and the lizard and the animals. So I'm like, OK, <laughs> welcome to the family. You're probably going to starve because I don't know what to feed you or if you're getting water or anything like that. But I figured he'd figure it out. He'll eat all your spiders. Yes. He'll be a friend to the family. I totally need that happening. Yes. Now I'm going to seriously stare at the curtains the entire time we're in here. He's looking at you. Be like, hey, buddy. 
All right. And the last bit of postmortem that I have is talking about Bigfoot. So I had a few locals uh, talk about Bigfoot in the area and they're like, were you talking? He's like, uh, they were like, do you know? I had two people ask me, do you know about the Chakalaka monster? Hmm. And I'm like, what? And they're like, we had like a Bigfoot. My father talked about a Bigfoot. And so I had one of the people that was telling me this because they were really excited about me doing a local um, Talladega, probably Talladega National Park, mm-hmm. Bigfoot, where that story came from that I talked about in episode three. And so uh, one of these people wrote me back and said, um, the Chocolaca monster was a big thing in the 60s and 70s. Hmm. And she said, it's a, she said, the story was if you went down Chocolaca Road, a Bigfoot was jumping out at cars and scaring folks for years on Chocolaca Road. Oh, my. You know what? And now Chocolaca Road is scary in is and of a itself. Fucking terrifying place to drive anyways, because it just there's no place where it's straight. It's up and down the mountain and it's weaving the entire, entire time. time. And there's no place to pull over. There is. There's no because if you pulled over, you'd go like up and down, down the hill. I mean, like right. you'd, you'd be in the tree. And I usually drive it like maybe 20, 30 miles mm-hmm. an hour, if that. And, and the posted speed limit's like 45 miles an hour. It's right. insane. And then and I always have some like person i'm being very nice in that definition person and like (laughs) on my tail the whole time like waiting for just a little inch to pass me in a curve Mm -hmm. um doing like 50 or 60 miles an hour down that road i'm like death wish okay anyway so sorry so for years a bigfoot was jumping out and chasing after cars on chocolaca road oh my god and he said, this is, he said, this is the part, this part is from my dad. He says, so one man who got attacked <gasps> jumped out of his car with a gun and shot at it. <laughs> and it actually turned out to be some dude in a costume. He was scaring people for years. Oh, my God. Look <laughs> at your head blown off around here if you pull that shit, man. Right. <laughs> So there are so many more stories that she, that um, they have heard, and that last episode just reminded her of of that story that her dad told her about the monster Chocolaca. Oh what kind of asshole, though? <laughs> That's dangerous, though. I wonder it how many dangerous. traffic accidents happen because of that. Because you would seriously like drive flat off the mountain. Right oh there. yeah, if not doing eighty down the mountain, just trying oh to get away God. from it, right? At the same time, I'm sitting here thinking, like, God, I wish something like that would happen to me. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> like, I totally want Bigfoot to chase me down the road. <laughs> no. My gosh. Not me. <laughs> All right. So who wants to go first? Oh, yeah. Who wants to go first? Did I go first last week? I think so. I went first last time. You so you first? get to go first now. <laughs> All right. Hold on. Let me finish this real quick. Maybe should we pause and refill? Cause I'm almost empty. I'm like down in this, like nobody's business. Yes. Let's, okay. let's stop and go refill. Okay. Oh, so good. Mm, okay. I'm spilling it all over myself. <laughs> okay. Whiskey. Are you ready? I'm ready. So the mystery begins the summer of 1959. Ooh, okay. So 1959, let's put this in context. A song that was out was What I'd Say by Ray Charles. Mm. Another song that was very popular was the Battle Hymn of the Republic by the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. Shit you not. Wow, that was on the top 40. Huh? It, it was it was being played on the radio. It was very popular. Hmm, okay. Movies out, Ben-Hur, <laughs> Sleeping Beauty. Oh, my God. Yes. I know. I had to, like, actually look up Sleeping Beauty because I was like, "Uh uh-uh, it's not that old. It's that old. Wow. And another movie that was out was Anatomy of a Murder. Wait, was that the Truman Capote? No, that was cold something cold in cold blood in cold blood okay anatomy of a murder go anatomy of a murder and the anatomy of the murder really caught my eye because first of all um it was a jimmy stewart was in it uh duke ellen ellington like did the score for it oh and really what caught my eye was the opening title sequence that was done by saul bass and the opening title sequence is 
a body that starts out whole and then gets dismembered. Mm. Foreshadowing. Cool. Okay, right? So in the summer of 1959, there was a grisly discovery nearby Gadsden of an armless, legless, faceless torso. Faceless? Faceless. Oh. Um, a day later, a couple picking berries pulled back a branch and uncovered a horrifying sight. A second legless, armless, faceless torso. The Associated Press labeled the mysterious slaying as the X and Y murders. Mm. At the time, there was speculation that they were gangland murders. And possibly, and this is really interesting, I didn't know this, or this was even a thing. Possibly the result of an underworld civil war between the Alabama Hill-based White Whiskey Ring and the Tennessee Red Whiskey Ring. Like bootleggers? But it's the 50s, so... I don't know. We're okay. Or maybe maybe with dry counties or something. Oh, I don't yeah. know if Calvin okay. County was a dry county, but I don't know. Just bizarre, right? Yeah. Okay. Bizarre tidbit. Um, the speculation <laughs> that was the dog. <laughs> speculation ended when employees at the Aniston Army Depot noticed that the Harper brothers, Emmett, age 48, and Lee, age 55, had not been at work for several days. Oh. So these fellas had been living in a box-type house trailer in Rabbit Town uh, near a farmhouse or on the property that had a farmhouse of Mr. and Mrs. H.D. Hyatt. They were an elderly couple who owned and worked the farm with their 30-year-old daughter, Viola Virginia Hyatt. Viola. Yes. Yes. So Viola was a plain woman. She was the only child, a farmer's daughter, who lived in home at home with her daddy and her stepmother. Found out that her mother died soon after she was born, so she never really knew her mother. Mm-hmm. And so it was just her and her dad for a while. And then um, her dad remarried. And they all lived on this farm, which was like 40 acres with a mule in White Plains community. So that's about 15 miles northeast of Anniston. They had corn and cotton, plus um, a hardy garden and gathering of pigs and chickens that fed the family and prospered the farm. Uh, the Hyatts, they say, were not poor, but they were country folks. So this is an account from one of the reporters' uh, stories from the Aniston Star, I believe. I'll put all the links. There's several stories in the Aniston Star, and it's really interesting because there's another account um, that's not so clean mm-hmm. of their living conditions. Uh, it was more of a hog farm. Mm-hmm. So their main resources was raising pigs, butchering the pigs and selling the meat to the local markets. And they said that the house was that they were poor, that mm-hmm. they were just barely like making it. And that pretty much is in line with Rick Bragg mm-hmm. and his family and, and just the area of how people are just scuffling to make ends meet. So the only reason that I think that they said that they were prosperous is that they actually had a garden and they had somewhat of a business that was barely keeping things running. Mm-hmm. So it was not like a nice, pretty like garden. It, it was a stinky hog farm you know, and mm-hmm. country folks scraping by kind of thing. All right. So, bum, bum, bum. especially it stunk to high heaven in the summer. So imagine all those pigs and the oh. summer heat and whatnot. Pig farms do. Oh yeah. Gosh, so do. Viola did a bunch of the heavy work as she got older. And eventually she got into when her dad couldn't handle it anymore. She eventually took up the hog butchering herself. Imagine. Foreshadowing. Mm. All right. So uh, Viola quit school and she didn't graduate. Uh, She never had a regular job, but when would she have time? She was taking care of the farm, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, She did help with the farm and she 
grew to be strong and sturdy. She was popular with the neighbors and was good help to them. And then she made the rounds to, you know, the cafes and the general stores on uh, State Road 9 to sell the meat. Um, And this is like several miles south of Piedmont. And for some reason in this article, they said some alcohol was sold. (laughs) Fact, true fact, (laughs) y'all. Some alcohol alcohol was sold. So leading up to the murder, um, one account that I was reading talking about Viola growing up, they said like how horribly ugly she was and that people bullied her and picked on her in school for being ugly and just called her just nasty names mm-hmm. and, um, and that she had a bit of a temper. But then, you know, she was liked by neighbors. So I have like conflicting. Some people say that she was mean. Some people say that she was likable. Um, So conflicting stories from what I have read here about her. Hmm. So leading up to the murder. uh, Mr. Hyatt, as he grew older and by this time, uh, Viola never married. She stayed on the farm. She's about in her 30s this time. He took advantage of uh, two men who were looking for a place to put a trailer on the property because they had just been employed by a construction company that was building uh, the new road to Jacksonville. Mm. And so he this would like he the Mr. Hyatt saw this as like generating some extra income that they could use. And so he's like, sure, you know, go ahead. But I think he had kind of a I think it was kind of a cagey deal. It wasn't Mm. like a really up and up. It was just kind of weird. So they paid to put the trailer on the land and they even said if Viola would cook for us, we'd throw her a little something. And also heard that that they pulled her aside and said, if you would do other things for us too, Mm. we'll give you a little money Mm -hmm. as well. So this is where it gets a little bit raunchy. Mm. Uh, In fact, from some of the stuff I read, it was pretty, pretty bad. So this was going on. She was cooking and cleaning, tending the farm. The men would come home. They would go to the barn and they would give her some money or her dad found out about this and confronted them and got pissed off. Mm. And and the men beat her dad when he confronted them. Oh, there was also um, it was known that these men would drink and things. The they were pretty like thugs. Mm -hmm. They were pretty horrible people they would drink and it would get worse and they were basically terrorizing from what i've read the hyatt family with their drinking and their bossing everybody around and the abuse and the sexual abuse and whatnot and so one night it was really bad and viola you know complied with their demands once again and afterward she just asked them she's like i need to use your car to go to the grocery store on Saturday, um, our truck is broke. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were like, fuck off. No, you ugly bitch. Get out of here. Mm-hmm. We're tired of you taking advantage of us. You should be paying us for the services instead of us paying you. Kind oh, of my deal, God. Um, from what I've read. And so Viola had all she was going to take that night. <laughs> so early the next morning on June 27th, 1959, she loaded her father's shotgun, walked into the trailer and knocked on the door and said, this is what they said. She said somebody like elaborated what she said, but something to the effect like, get up, you two bastards. I have something to settle with you. <laughs> this is all kind of like fantasy writing but we can just imagine what was said right um i'm sorry i got lost so she shot both brothers in the face and then proceeded to take their bodies and get a wooden wheelbarrow and she cut off their arms and legs so that they would fit into the wheelbarrow because she was having a hard time lugging them around, which I don't know if I believe or not. I mean, I think she was just dressing them like she did the hogs basically for easy disposal. Um, So she got a wooden wheelbarrow. She put, she cut off the arms and legs with her daddy's double bit ax. And then she got into the car 
and put their body parts on a tarp. And then she drove to White Plains towards Gadsden, um, eventually passing through three counties, Calhoun, Etowah, and Claiborne. Is that right? Did I say that's right? Uh, she threw out two legs in mm. some brush besides a road in Etowah County. And then she drove down to Talladega National Forest in Claiborne County and tossed two legs into the Tallapoosa River. Um, an arm was slung into the roadside tangle of briars where the horrified blueberry, I uh, mean, mm. blackberry pickers found. And then later, another arm was found about a mile away where the leg, legs was found. Uh, Miss Hyatt told authorities uh, that she discarded the two arms on Sater Mountain near Piedmont, Alabama, although they were never located. Mm. So... Four, I was supposed to say, but she already discarded the arms. I forgot. There's four arms and four legs. What do you got going on? Got to do math here, right? Well, and there's there's a place. I'm unless I'm mistaken. Now there's a place around here somewhere that they still call Arm and Leg Creek because yes, of this. Yes, there is. I was like, I've although, heard that one. Although they found the arm there because I read about that. They found the arm there, but they didn't find the leg. I think the leg was nearby, but not in the creek. Mm. And so they just added the leg for effect. Locals yeah, added the does, leg for it's, effect. It's a lot more. It's got a more better ring more to it. You know, arm, to and, it. arm and leg. Arm and leg arm creek. creek. Arm right. creek could be anything. Could be arm anything. and leg creek's like you slaughtered people and threw their. <laughs> Pieces in the creek. Exactly. Shit. Okay, so let's talk about the torsos. So O.T. Holiday found one torso on June 28th in a dirt driveway alongside an abandoned shack just off Highway 11 near Atala. The other was discovered about 10 miles away by a rural housewife in the woods near her house. Oh, bless it. Can you imagine how <laughs> horrifying? <laughs> no. That'd be terrible. Oh, my goodness. One of the to uh, torsos was found nude, and the other one was wearing underwear. Mm. Just fun fact. The entire town was thrown, or actually not the town, the entire area was thrown into a panic as all speculated as what kind of deranged man could do such a thing. And for the first time, people began locking their doors. After her arrest, oh, leading up to her arrest, she, as soon as she's murdered the two men, she called the construction company and said that they were extreme, both were extremely sick and that they weren't coming into work. Oh. And then later on, she called them again and said both had left to go see their mother. So she's trying to cover up her tracks mm -hmm. and give, you know, some time between the murder. But I think because she called them so often, it kind of led to suspicion yeah. about something unusual going on. And so that's what uh, led the authorities to her place. And they said when they came to the place that she really, she hadn't cleaned up. They went to the trailer. It was blood spattered. There was Ugh. hair on the axe. Oh it was God. still just like really bad. Um, and there was also talk that her father, when he heard the gunshot go off, because obviously you hear two gunshots go off near your house, you're going to investigate. That's what I was going to ask. Like, did her, her father and stepmother So her know? father woke up and she basically said, don't worry about it. Go back to bed. And he was like, OK. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like the better thing to do. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so it leads to her house. The authorities get there. And let me see. Um, after her arrest, and they initially arrested her father and her, um, but after her arrest, the sheriff deputies, um, found, went on the ghastly treasure hunt to relocate the pieces. Um, deputies stated as a fact that she kept more private treasures in the freezer. Ew. Now, I don't know how much is that is true. Uh, 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 why would, you know, if she hated them. Yes. If she hated them, maybe, um. But I don't know. There, Maybe she just used them as like stress balls. Like <laughs> she just pulled them out of the freezer. <laughs> Whenever she's having a rough day, she just goes to the freezer. And just like, this will make me feel better. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> 
when they brought her and her dad in, they quickly, she quickly confessed and she told them and she's like, my dad had nothing to do with this. And so they let her dad go and they kept her and she got an attorney and she would never tell her attorney anything. He's like, what happened? And she remained tight lipped. And this is why we don't really have that much information about it mm-hmm. other than what was experienced by other people. And so so they were like, let's try to get her off on a insanity plea. So she went to Bryce Hospital, which was a state mental health facility in Tuscaloosa, and spent like a month or two in there. And then they finally declared her sane and competent for trial. So she went to trial. In the trial, again, she never tells the attorneys what happened. They, I don't think they put her on the witness stand. Uh, she had an all-male, all-white male jury mm-hmm which doesn't matter because she entered in a plea of guilty. I think they made a deal with her that she, if she made a plea of guilty, then she would just spend life in prison. Mm-hmm. So she took that. Um, so she pled guilty. She was a model prisoner in the Julie Tutwaller. 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 Thank Tutwiler you. Tutwaller prison. Tutwaller prison. Where is that? Do you know? South. Oh, okay. And returned home after 10 years to lead a quiet life until she died in 2000. Uh, One of the interesting things uh, that right afterwards, there is a chant, and this is a fun thing, a chant uh, that went around that the kids were doing to the tune of Lizzie Borden. Oh. Borden, sorry. Um, It was revised, and it went, Viola Hyatt took an axe and gave her lovers 40 wax. When she saw what she had done, she gave his brother 20 or 41. (laughs) That's fun. That's fun. (laughs) I like that. So that is the tale of Viola Hyatt. The torso killer. The torso killer. One of the things I found, like there's not much information uh, when I was Googling this, I did find like a genealogy website that was claiming her as part of their family. And so they had, it wasn't a website. It was actually a list of files, like an index directory of files where people would upload photos of her and um, tells like firsthand accounts of what they remember. And there was a story by a lady who was a child at the time and right after them, she was distantly related. Like her aunt was like, it it was like her, no, her, her aunt was like a great aunt to something. I mean, it was kind of like just one of those weird relationships, but they, they would go over to the farm a lot and they interacted with Viola and her family. And she remembers uh, Viola very distinctly as a child because like the day after the murder they went over there and they had the radio and Vola stuck out to her because she wore bright red lipstick and blue overalls Hmm. and the woman like really loved how the bright red lipstick looked on Viola and that was like something that really stuck out in her mind so she remembers she remembers doing that and Viola turned the radio on she's like let's let's listen to see if if they found anybody dead (laughs) <laughs> and she made like that comment, right? And she thought, well, that was kind of an odd comment. But Vala had been known to kind of be a little bit morbid and keep up with like obituaries and stuff, as Southern people tend to do when they get older. They always look to see who's died that mm-hmm. they know. Um, but she made that statement um, and she remembered that turning it on. And the, <laughs> this is a really good story, actually, <laughs> if I don't screw it up. She said that Viola took her hand. She's like, I got something for you. You want to come with me? And so she asked her parents if she could go outside with Viola. And she said she was very personal, very friendly, nothing creepy, just very warm and talkative person. And so she grabbed her hand and they walked over to the trailer. And she told the little girl to stay right there. I'm going to get you something. So she goes into the trailer where she had previously slaughtered or shot the two men in the face. She wouldn't let the girl in there, but she comes back out with the teddy bear and she gives the girl the teddy bear. She's like, my boyfriend won me this teddy bear at the state fair and I want to give it to you. 
And so she gives it to the little girl. The little girl asks her folks if she can keep it. And they're like, yeah, no harm, no biggie. So she loves this teddy bear. It's like she's so in awe of this teddy bear and it goes with her everywhere. And she said like a week later, they start hearing, she starts hearing Bola's name coming up like negatively. Mm. People talking bad about her. And on the radio, they announced that they had arrested Viola for the torso slaughter of two men. And she said that when they heard that on the car radio, they're traveling somewhere in the car. Her dad took that teddy bear and threw it out the window. Oh, my God. And she was really upset because she lost the teddy bear. Oh. I know. <laughs> but, you know. I don't murder know. bear. Murder bear. Oh. So that's my story of the <clears throat> torso murders. <clears throat> Viola Hyatt. And Viola Hyatt. Well, and they did. There's a play about Viola that's... Um, because that's the one they did I, at JSU. Well, I read about that, and it's actually a conglomeration. Mm-hmm. It's, like, based on some of her stuff, but it's on other female murders, too. Yeah. And I was reading the article that the playwright was talking about why she wrote this. Um, and one of the things was just how the press, the media covers female murderers. Mm-hmm. She's like, you'll never get this from men. She's like, they talk about their weight. They talk about what they're wearing. They're talking about just their physical looks is one of the first things that come out of their mouth mm-hmm. when talking about these, was it murderesses? Murder? Murders? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and how, you know, she, the play was based on several different women mm-hmm. um, and not strictly on the torso murder. I just like saying torso. The torso murders. murders. Yeah. Cause she had, it was like, there was a lot of like, uh, you know, bootlegging stuff in there too. And I think the time period was different. I can't remember the way that they did it. Right. But when they did it at JSU up here, they, um, all the cast went out to see Viola Hyatt's grave. Where is she buried? Is she, I think down in, um, it's not, uh, like, Shoot, it's not Golden Springs. Um, but it's oh, is it Rabbit down Town? Route nine, is yeah. it Rabbit Town where Probably. the area? Yeah, yeah, it's um, like Iron City, White Plains. I feel like it's down that way. Okay, um, let me have to go find that. I've got several pictures like that. That little genealogy list of stuff is just a treasure trove. They've got pictures of the house. They got pictures of her as a child. Uh, pictures of her uh, when. You know, she was older and when she got arrested. And of course, the Aniston Star still has like all their articles from back in the day that they wrote because there was a lot of very young reporters that kind of got their feet wet in a major way with this breaking during the 19, late 1950s. Yeah, that's a huge deal. It was a huge deal. And there's several books. They've gone on to write books um, about this. And I've referenced a couple of their works and I'll put that on the show notes as well and all the photos it's very interesting i'm very um i'm halfway they say that she was a little bit crazy a little bit but you know how people talk Mm -hmm. so i don't know how much is like hearsay and just creating rumor mills and how much is you know the truth i mean you have to be i mean she was just a farmer girl Mm -hmm. you know strong farmer girl who was being you know, sex, sexually abused. And mm-hmm. there was rumors too, that she had been sexually abused by her father. Mm-hmm. And of course this is pure hearsay here. Um, country folk talking about, she was sexually abused, abused by her father and that there was children or babies that came into it, births that were given and that the children were fed to the pigs. Oh my God. I know. I read, that was the last thing I read last night. And I'm just like, that's horrific. And I want to call bullshit, but. But also not impossible. Not impossible. Right. Well, cheers. Cheers. (laughs) Damn. Well, you've popped our murder cherry now. Yes. Like I did. I did. You did. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. That means I can. I might. I might go in that direction in the next uh, podcast or two because, like we talked about originally, I was like, there are so many female serial killers in this area, or multi murderers, or whatever you want to call them. And I looked. I was looking at because I didn't know which. If I wanted to do a serial killer, but it's interesting. I really, people could probably argue this with me and I'll stop talking so you can get to your story. But 
people say that they're female serial killers, but I just don't believe that because every case that I looked up where it had a female serial killer, it was basically her killing her family mm-hmm. and or killing for insurance money. Mm. And they were listing these females as serial killers. I'm like, but that's not that's not the MO of serial killers. Yeah, that's not what a serial, serial killer is. Serial killers kill random people and it's not for monetary gain. Mm. So it's a suspect of, of how these women get labeled as serial killers. Mm-hmm. I don't can you truly have a woman as a serial killer? You can have a woman as a serial killer. You can. There are. There are. But the ones around here maybe don't fit that bill. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Because that chick from Monster, she was a female serial killer. Right? And she's like the only she one. truck drivers. All right. That I, I can think of. Like, this will be maybe have to like research This will be more. interesting. This is going to be the rabbit hole for the weekend. Yes. All right. Well, I stayed in the ghosty story vein. Yay. And, um... <clears throat> I found a story about uh, the ghost of Abbeville, Alabama, which is I've like, never heard of this. Yeah. Well, Abbeville is like south. It's like below Montgomery, kind of closer to the Georgia border. It's like if you go from Tallahassee straight to Montgomery, then Abbeville would be like right in the middle. So it's okay. kind of like okay. diagonally west, uh, north northwest okay. of Tallahassee. So um, this is their the reason that I was interested in this is because of the name of it, because their their ghost is called Huggin' Molly. Abbeville's ghost is named Huggin' Molly. Oh no. And it was it's funny because she and I'll have you? to put <laughs> I'll have to put some pictures on the uh, on the show notes also because this this kind of cracked me up. They've kind of Casperized this ghost. Like, you know, if you you know you've been to Abbeville and you've heard of Hug and Molly if you've been to Abbeville, because in the Welcome to Abbeville sign, they have this silhouette of this like woman in black chasing a screaming child on, oh on the Welcome to God. Abbeville sign. Yes, put that image. <laughs> Holy crap. So, I mean, there's that. And the most popular restaurant in the area, which I don't know if you've heard of, um, the company's called Yellowwood. The guy who started the Yellowwood company, it's like a really big lumber mm, company mm-hmm, and distributor. Mm-hmm. Um, he's from there, I guess. And he did, he paid for a huge, big revitalization of their downtown. And one of the things that he did was, I, I think he started this restaurant, but their their most famous, most popular restaurant in town is called Hug and Molly's. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and so I was like, man, way to take all the teeth out of your ghost story. Like we exactly. can do better, Alabama. Like exactly. we, can, we can keep this scary because- Originally, you know, a lot of people, they uh, everybody talks about the story as this is the story that parents told to keep their kids off the streets at night. Oh, wow. And I was like, well, y'all just, you know, you name your burger after her and right. you lose a little it bit it of this. Like, you know, right. The but, uh, but the um, the the story that they would tell or the story that there there are a couple different stories that always came up when when they talk about Hug and Molly. There are two individuals whose names they'll they'll throw out as people who have seen the ghost. And a lot of people apparently reported seeing or being followed by this ghost. But they all knew what Huggin' Molly does. She's she's this seven foot tall, oh my black God. robed. They said at some point maybe a witch, but she's she's as large as a man, which we'll talk about later. And they said she's as wide as a hay bale. And after dark in Abbeville, if you were wandering around the streets, she would find you and chase you down and she would grab onto you in this crushing hug and then reach down to your face and scream like hell in your ear. Oh my God. And now like, shivers just thinking about that ser- as a I was kid, like, ah. that would totally have worked on me. And so, you know, it's, it's this kind of, it's super terrifying. Like that's yes. really a scary thing it to is, tell a child, yes. right? So you can't stay out after dark or hugging Molly going to get you. And, um, but you know, there are adults who are saying that they've seen and adults who would like, you know, in their future report that they've actually seen this. And, um, you know, some of the, some of the legends early on had said that she would crush 
people to like she would hug them to death. She'd hug you to death. Right. But you know, nobody's w- maybe with up. the the Abbeville welcome silhouette and everything that kind of you know right. tapered down a bit. But um, there was a kid, it, um, Mac Gregory. This was 1901. This is one of the stories you always hear. This kid, Mac, who worked at this grocery store, um, they did evening deliveries of groceries. And so he was just a, a delivery boy. He was a teenager, I think, if I if I remember right. Yeah, I think he was a teenager. And, um, you know, he'd finished his last delivery for the night and he was headed home and uh, it had gotten dark and he started hearing footsteps behind him. And so he'd kind of slow down and the footsteps slowed down and then he'd walk a little faster and the footsteps walked a little faster and he finally like got up the nerve to turn around and check. And he sees this six foot tall black hooded thing walking a little distance behind him. And so he starts to speed up his pace and he can hear it moving faster. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it, he, he does make it to his door. Right. But he tells everybody about this. He's, it's like the most talked about, sighting of this thing is this Matt Gregory story. So he just, he raced home. He got onto his porch and he opened the door and it wasn't locked. So he got straight on and he got in. And so he was one of the ones that would tell people that he'd never delivered groceries at night after that. That was like, he was done. That was it. I don't blame him. And then there was another story um, about another teenager. I feel like this kid was 16 and um, his name was Robert. And his mom was standing on the porch when she saw him walking home after dark. And run, she Robert, noticed run. that's that's what she said. That's what all these stories are like. Run, Robert. She noticed as he was walking home, he started to speed up and he looked behind him and he started to speed up. And she's looking behind. And she sees this the, the adult on the porch sees this thing chasing him down the street. And she's screaming for him to get there. And he, you know, he also he runs up the steps and they run inside and they slam the door. And then you look at the window, and of course, there's not gonna be anything there. Right. Um so people people report that they've seen this. And so like in the turn of the century, but I feel like that one was a little bit later, like in the no, it wasn't that much later. It was like in the teens. Mm-hmm. So turn of the century was when they had all these like reports that people looked at as legitimate of this this creature. Right. And it's interesting because there were neighboring cities and counties that they reported similar things. So like um I feel like the town of Phoenix or Phoenixville is nearby and they had reports of a black, a tall black hooded figure walking around the streets at night. But, you know, they didn't have like that idea of the hugging and the screaming, you know, it wasn't part of it. And then there was a um, headland, which is another neighboring town or not too far away town that that uh, they had reports of this person basically like harassing people in the evenings, whoever it was or whatever it was, was going to be out there in the evenings to the point where, um, they, people in the town started to think that this was, you know, the ghost come by, or it was somebody who was trying to copycat it to, to frighten people on purpose. Right. And so, um, the, the editor of the newspaper, um, the Headland post in 1908, he wrote a warning in the paper and that I guess you can look this up and you can see the warning that he wrote. Um, it says some unprincipled person is parading the streets of Headland at all hours of the night dressed as a woman in black. It is frightening the women and children and causing our large number of dogs to be kicking up a racket at almost any time of the night. I've been requested to notify the person or thing that it will be shot on sight by a certain husband and father whose wife and children were frightened out of their wits the other night. Somebody is likely to get hurted if they don't learn to behave themselves. So Stop. So like, so whatever this is or whoever this was, it was like, it was bothering all these people, you know? So it was like the whole area around. And, um, so did that work? Well, they still, you know, after the teens, it doesn't sound like there are a whole lot of reports of like legitimate sightings of it where they have people's names attached or anything like that. Like all of them seem to be like pretty early. Right. But, um, you know, they still, of course, they talk about it. And all the parents in Abbeville tell their kids it's Hug and Molly time. You can't go outside because it's Hug and Molly time. And so it, one of the things that I had read had said that it was like the the history of this story went all the way back into like Ireland. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of like a lot of hill folk down here have roots in, you know, in that part of the, the world. And um, 
I never did find anything about that, but I found a couple other stories that like kind of right. accounted for this. Mm-hmm. And um, one of them is in this book called, which we're going to have to get this book. It's by a guy named Will Eric Elric Elric. And it's called Alabama lore and it covers the Chocolaca monster. Oh, wow. And it covers hug and Molly and it covers a whole bunch of other stuff. So we we really need to get this book and, and read it. Um, but I found some of it on Google books. And so this is one, I haven't heard anybody else tell this version of where she came from. Um, and he got this from, from somebody else's book and kind of replayed it here, but it said, According to the book Legend, Lore, and True Tales of the Chattahoochee by Michelle Smith, Huggin' Molly was actually a real person. And as a child, now, I love this story, but it's got to be a story. So as a child, she had to have her arm removed, and they gave her a golden arm as a replacement. Well, fancy. This is the story. And they said um, people were always, you know, ribbing her and, you know, she's different. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) And so it said um, a bunch of the boys in town said that they were waiting for her to die so that they could take her arm away because they were going to steal her arm. And um, eventually, I guess she died young, it sounds like. Um, And she died. And at the funeral, after the funeral, the boys dug up her body and removed the arm. And it says, as they began to fill it back in again to cover their tracks, a voice rose out of the tomb saying, I want my golden arm. And the boys ran away and the voice followed them and screamed at them. And it said during the chase, one of the boys was grabbed from behind by a black robed woman and squeezed until he couldn't breathe. And something screamed loudly in his ear until he thought he would die of shock. And um, they later like they got him away. The other boys got him away because this is one of the things about Hug and Molly is they say that there are no casualties related to this ghost. Right. And um, not even in the stories. And the whole group got away. And eventually they 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 melted down the arm and sold it in pieces uh, and split pieces it up. Is haunted. And that and that Molly roams the streets looking, looking for the boys who stole her arm and all the pieces that they sold. Oh. And I kind of love, I kind of love that. That's version. a good tale. That's a pretty good one. Yes. I love that one. And the other one, and this one is sadder. This is the other one that I feel like kind of relates more closely to where the, like the fear that draws this kind of ghost into existence mm-hmm. is. Um, so this was like a turn of the century story too. So if that's the, if that's actually true, if it, if this story came out of the turn of the century, it would make sense that this would, you know, all these stories of when the ghost was active would kind of mesh with this pretty well. But um, that there was a one, a young woman in Abbeville who became pregnant. She wasn't married, you know, like happens, Mm -hmm. but the, um, you know, of course she's shunned, you know, she has the baby, but she dies shortly after. Well, the local doctor says that she didn't die in childbirth. She died of being poisoned and come to find out the daddy of this baby was uh, the son of a rich family in Abbeville mm-hmm. who could not bear to have his reputation soiled by, mm-hmm. you know, having this bastard child. And um, because the doctor figured this out, people like were going to blame, they were going to hang him um, for the poison. No, they were going to oh. hang this daddy for okay. poisoning this girl. Right. And um, so he ran off and um, there are two, two parts of the story after that is that, Years later, people would see this tall hooded figure in town and turns out it was the the The, young son who had like left because he was going to be hanged, trying to sneak back into town and uh, find out how his people were doing and all this kind of stuff. So there was, they said, this this large person in black in a hood roaming around town because that's not obvious or anything. Right. (laughs) Nobody would notice. Nobody Nobody would notice. notice. But the other idea is that, you know, this woman's baby died. Right. And that, you know, she would come back as a ghost into the town looking for her child. Uh, and so whenever she saw a child, a child after dark, when she was free, she it? would go hug the child mm. and try and keep it with her. So Shivers. that was that was her. That was that hug and Molly story. And it's interesting because, like I said, like. And there were other things like there are tons of offshoots of this. Like there was somebody in Louisiana at one point who was like dressing up in black and hugging women and screaming. But it turned out it was just like a mentally unstable pervert. Right. (laughs) Kind of like the Chocolaca monster, maybe. Exactly. Just some creeper, you know. 
But like when I, I was looking back into the Irish, because a couple things said, you know, this came from an old Irish legend. I couldn't find anything, but it does kind of sound like that. Oh, ban- what is banshees, banshees or screamers. screamers. Yeah. And so, but it was like the hugging part that I, I just couldn't find a handle on. But I did realize that um, Molly in like older, like UK, British, Irish, that's an epithet. Oh, it, really? It means woman of poor standing. It means prostitute. Oh, it also, like Molly Flanders. Yeah. And it also means oh. gay man. Oh. And so I'm thinking like, I wonder if there's some weird subconscious shit going on with like, okay, so you want to keep your teenagers from fucking around after dark. Right. You said so we've Molly. got this, we've got this man-sized woman in a robe who's going to chase your ass off the street before right? you get some girl pregnant who I got to come home and haunt y'all. So like, I was like, everything comes back together. Rose. I'm sorry. My cat woman? just totally like. She's, if you hear the weird noises, that would be Rose's ass on my microphone. (laughs) Come here, Rose. (laughs) So anyway, so that's my, that's my take. That is my take. And they totally capitalized on her in Abbeville, right? Yes, absolutely. So that's my take on Hugging Molly. There we go. That's amazing. Now we've got to go eat there now. Oh, we should. We should go eat at Hug and Molly's. Yes. I've, I've like already got like a couple of road trips. I've got several. Brain. Oh my God. There's so many places we could go. All right. And you know, I've always talked about being such a huge chicken shit when it comes to like staying in a haunted hotel or something like that. You want to do it. But I kind of want to do like the haunted New Orleans tour. Well, you know what? The it, the tour will be good for chicken shit because they always right. keep it a little in bit. In a group. Mm-hmm. I, need, I need the group companion kind of thing going yes. on. Yes. Or we could ask our friend's dad, who is a legit ghost hunter, who goes on ghost <gasps> hunts with yes, it, groups of people and stays in creepy ass places overnight. <laughs> we could do that. That's true. Or we could just <laughs> She's go like, no. eat at Hug and Molly. <laughs> <laughs> That's for my line. <laughs> Oh, that is so good. I am so glad to know that tale now. Now you know. Now yeah. I know. Although I feel like if I lived in Abbeville as a child and my parents would have told me that, that anytime it got like dusk, I would be having major anxiety attacks to make everybody go home. <laughs> You'd <laughs> be like that friend. <laughs> we need to be at home. We need to be at home. <laughs> well, and there were there were even stories that like Hug and Molly was the spirit of this professor from the Southeast Agricultural College who like didn't want her students to get hurt after dark. And so she was like, she would come back and like try and frighten them back into their houses. (laughs) Right. You know, like they, it's a, it's a well-meaning tale, I guess. And some versions. Yeah. I wonder if anybody has experienced her of late though. Did you find any recent? I haven't found any recent. There were a couple who had said like, well, the Yellowwood guy, Mm -hmm. I think he reported that his dad or his best friend's dad had, had seen it mm-hmm. um, as a child, but Nothing I haven't found recently. anything. And, you know, I should look, I didn't actually look at any like paranormal society investigations of it. I didn't find anything like that. Right. Usually you do find those pretty easy. They, yeah. They pop up first usually, but maybe they're, you know, like I said, take the teeth out of their own little All ghost right. stories. They, they gonna be like, Molly. Yeah. So. so interesting. But there are some pretty creepy ass drawings and, uh, and renderings of her. I found one on Instagram this morning. I'll have to see if, if they'll let me repost it and share it. Cause there are some artists who are making a much better version of hug and Molly than, right. <laughs> than the town city Sign, square. Right. Yeah. Excellent. Well, that was fun. Yes. Enjoyed that. Well, I guess I have to wrap this up. We should wrap this up. Exactly. We got big plans coming up uh, with some guests stories mm-hmm. some guest speakers coming up soon that'll be fun and if you haven't already go ahead and friend us and like us on facebook it's the strange south podcast is our username and also on instagram we are the strange south podcast as well would do that and, and we're on what itunes and spotify itunes spotify google play uh tune in i believe oh, i put us on tune in cool and you can listen on Stitcher, our website and you can and on our website you can see the off. show notes too where yes. we have the links to all the like creepy ass pictures of right in the articles where mm-hmm. we're finding a lot of this information from so there you go there you go cool so 
have a good day and we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. out for you tonight. Jimmy snuck out of his home real late. It was a hot summer night and it seemed like a great opportunity to just hang out under the stars. Mom and dad wouldn't approve, but he wouldn't go far. But though the streets had been deserted, he saw someone ahead, a figure seven foot tall that filled him with dread, dressed all in black and a face well hid by the darkness underneath a hat's wide brim. Jimmy turned the other way, but the figure was there. He was caught in a ghostly pale woman's stare. She wrapped her arms around him and held him in place. Not a hug like his mom's, but a cold embrace. He struggled to get free, but her arms were like steel. The thought sprang into his head. He might be her next meal. The woman opened her mouth, leaned her face in near, then let loose a mighty shriek right into his ear. Tears in his eyes, shook up by his night before, but very much alive when they asked him what had happened. He didn't respond. All he could hear was echoes of her scream go on and on. But old man Henry down the road said, don't be alarmed. It was just old hugging Molly and she means no harm. Though Jimmy's ears are ringing now, it will fade in a day. It is Molly who is stuck in a wretched way. She lost her own infant many lifetimes past, so spent all time hoping to find her baby at last. When a child walks alone at night, she will appear, and hoping it is hers, she will hug it near. So don't blame Molly if she lets out a wail, when her hopes once again are to no avail. When a person spends eternity in their own hell, I think we can forgive them if they need to yell. Hug and Molly looking for her baby tonight. Hug and Molly wants to hold you tonight.